Hi. <laughs> I, <don't even> <laughs> I had a brain freeze. Welcome back to the Voice First Roundtable, Season 2, Episode 7. Today is Tuesday, March the 31st. My name is Bradley Metrock. I'm CEO of a company called Score Publishing based in Nashville, Tennessee. The Voice First Roundtable is our half-hour one-on-one interview show where we talk to movers and shakers, leaders and pioneers across the vast landscape of voice and AI. Today, I am thrilled to be joined by Adam Chire of Samsung. Adam, say hello. Hello. Nice to see you, brother. Nice to see you, Adam. Thank you very much for setting the time aside. Uh, most people who are watching this uh, on YouTube or listening uh, via podcast uh, will know who you are, but uh, some may not. Tell, take a minute. Tell us who you are. Tell us what you do. Uh, sure. So uh, I'm Adam Chire. I'm VP of R&D at Samsung, where I'm working on Bixby. Um, and I'll tell you a little more about that later, perhaps. But um, in the past, I was also co-founder and VP Engineering for Viv Labs, which is the startup that Samsung acquired about three and a half years ago uh, to power the new Bixby. And before that, I was co-founder and VP Engineering of Siri, which sold to Apple to create the Siri Assistant. Uh, and other things I've done, I was um, founding member at Change.org, world's largest petition platform with more than 350 million members. I was co-founder of an AI startup called Sentient, and I spent more than a decade at SRI International uh, doing research on AI and human-computer interfaces. So you got the Midas touch. That's what you're trying to tell us. So far, so good. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you're trying to say. Uh, that, that, uh, yeah, yeah, you do. Um, so uh, cool. Uh, thank you for being part of the show with us. I, I want to start... Um, you know, we're all dealing with coronavirus. I'll ask you about that in a minute. Uh, I want to ask you your thoughts on, on voice and AI in general uh, heading into the second half of the year. But I want to start with just Bixby. When people hear the name Bixby and think about what Samsung's doing in voice, some different things can come to mind. Uh, there can be uh, great progress that comes to mind. There can be frustration that comes to mind. You know, it's been in the media and stuff about the Bixby button. Uh, different people come at it from different angles, depending on where you're sitting. Let's just take a minute. Tell us what, from your perspective, what are you and Samsung trying to do with voice and with Bixby specifically? Uh, great. Yeah. So one thing not everyone realizes is that there were, there was a Bixby 1.0 and then there was a Bixby 2.0, a new Bixby. And they're quite different. They're a completely different technology platform. They had different goals. Um, so the 1.0, which came out originally, was the one that people had a lot of frustration with, I think, about the voice button, et cetera, uh, misfiring. Um, and since then, Bixby 2.0 has completely replaced the technology basis using the Viv Labs technology. And the vision is to make the voice assistant as ubiquitous and important in people's lives as a web browser or a smartphone. And today, you know, no assistant is at that level. If I were to say I'm taking away your smartphone or your web browser, you'd be like, I can't function. But if I said I'm going to, you can't use a voice assistant for a week, you'd be like, ah, you know, inconvenient, but it's not 
you know, going to end my, my career or I, I can still function. And so the question we posed was what would it take to elevate the voice assistant from being a utility, which it is today, to literally a paradigm that every connected user and every connected business drives significant value from. And uh, we, saw, we, we saw that other competitive assistants are starting to open up or have opened up marketplaces. Uh, some of them have 100,000 skills or capsules or actions. Um, and what those are are basically plugins or add-ons to a voice assistant experience created by third-party developers. But the reality is none of those companies are driving significant value, very few, because most of the traffic to a voice assistant still goes to the built-in uh, services that have been negotiated by the big provider, by an Amazon, by a Samsung, by a, uh, an Apple or a um, Google. And so we feel that in order for the voice assistant to really succeed at a big scale level, we need to flip that equation and make most of the traffic go to third parties um, and you know, let user choice drive the requests of, if I say, get me something, well, who decides um, which service or provider that goes to? Um, so we're trying to do a very open ecosystem and uh, marketplace that any third party can contribute to and really compete based on the quality of their experience for what we call a first party experience. So no name dispatch, no keywords you need to invoke to get it to start that experience. Um, and so that's what we've done. We've created what I think is the best developer tools in the industry, Bixby Developer Studio. It, um, the richest AI platform available to any third party in the space in terms of functionality and, and sophistication of the tools that we provide and the, and the capabilities um, of the assistant. And Samsung has, you know, they, they have a deployment of something like a billion devices worldwide. 70% um, of US households have at least one Samsung device and the majority of those have more than one Samsung device. So little by little, we're putting Bixby into not only phones, uh, but televisions, refrigerators, smartwatches, tablets, um, all sorts of different things. And with our technology and our marketplace, we want developers to create new services, new capabilities, uh, publish them to a marketplace. We will facilitate discovery. And, and if the user likes the experience, they can make that the, their premier uh, partner, so to speak, for that user, um, for that type of request. So that's, that's kind of a, a big picture of what we're trying to do at Samsung with Bixby, the new Bixby. No, I like that. Yeah, I like the way you articulate that. Um, when, you, when you look at what Amazon has done with Alexa, and, you know, you talked about, I think it's just really interesting how you phrase that, how, you know, uh, the the level of essentialness, you know, the necessity of the voice assistant and, and quantifying that and measuring that. 
especially relative to, to a smartphone or a web browser. Um, you know, hearing you talk about that, I think, okay, like Alexa, I think Alexa is sort of a natural point to think about because it's, it's ubiquitous. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, a lot of marketing dollars have been behind it. Um, uh, been successful in cultivating the developer ecosystem. And where do they sit now? Well, I think most people would probably say uh, that, like, just like you said, I don't have Alexa. Yeah, you know what? I'll, I'll be all right. I'll, I'll muddle through. But interestingly, there is a class, at least one class of people who I don't think they would say that at all. And that's uh, accessibility related um, use cases, um, of, uh, you know, holding true for both Alexa and Google Assistant. So it's just interesting to sort of reflect on who who would say what about voice assistants right now in terms of how essential they are and yeah, lo and behold, there are some people who who probably would say that Alexa and Google Assistant are pretty darn near essential. Uh, but your your point is is still very well taken that by p- giving developers, you know, empowering them to a greater extent, you can flip that. I, um, I'm a big believer. I want to ask you, um, you know, we're in this era of coronavirus, um, and we're all dealing with it together. Um, I, I guess I'll ask you, what is it about what we're going through? Uh, if anything, has there been that has shaded your perspective on voice differently? Has there been any particular thing uh, that has transpired since we've been dealing with this over the last couple of months uh, that has maybe made you think a little bit differently about voice and conversational AI um, or not really? You know, share with me your thoughts. Sure. Well, I've um, I've been an advocate for this voice assistant paradigm for a long time. Uh, my first voice assistant that I launched was in 1993, before I ever saw a web browser. And I imagined the assistant as literally the web, where every business in the world would, instead of having a website, they would teach an assistant about their capabilities. So. I'm not going to say that coronavirus has significantly (laughs) changed my view, but uh, certainly I think the way people are communicating with each other today is different. Um, You know, we're using Zoom on this video call. Um, You know, in in tech industry, we've used video conferencing, you know, a fair amount. But this is the first time, you know, we just had a family reunion, um, so to speak, with our Midwest relatives, you know, many of them, you know, 80s and 90s. And this was the first time they've ever experienced um, this, uh, either by calling in over a phone and having a conference call like this or a video conference. Um, so I, I would say voice and the ability to be being comfortable talking to a machine, um, this coronavirus epidemic um, might be going to a larger population and just getting them more comfortable communicating and ex- expressing, well, first to each other, but the idea of talking through a screen to someone or something, um, I think has been foreign for a lot of people. And many people are getting introduced to this concept now. And so the idea of, oh, is that person or that entity that I'm talking with human or an assistant that may start to blur. And I think this might ease more people into the idea 
of talking to a phone or talking to a computer as a way of communicating um, in a new way. Yeah, complete agreement. And I think one area where we've seen that as well as with healthcare. Um, you know, there's been a lot of easing of governmental regulations uh, that have impeded the progress of voice in healthcare. And um, it will be very interesting to see, um, you know, how quickly those regulations come back into place to to sort of constrict telehealth uh, and things where voice can can have an impact. And also it'll be interesting to see, all right, some people have gotten used to that now. How quickly do they go back to something else or do they remain attached? Um, you know, with Bixby so far, with what Samsung's done with voice, healthcare has not been part of the roadmap thus far. But share with me your thoughts about voice in healthcare and, if, and maybe what you've seen with coronavirus or maybe just more broadly, uh, you think the, the impact that you think it may or may not have. Oh, I, I think um, voice and conversational assistance will be huge in healthcare. Um, Bixby is a relatively new assistant to the to the group. I mean, we only launched our marketplace um, just last end of last summer, um, so we're we're still maturing. We are talking with uh, healthcare providers and making sure our platform is capable of dealing with all the compliance issues that are required, um, you know, for HIPAA and others. So I'm a, I'm a big fan of conversational assistance for healthcare. Largely, it's, it can help in triage as one, one form where if you want to make requests, um, you have a concern, well, rather than calling, going into the ER or something like that, you can interact with an assistant who can guide you, ask some questions, give, you know, bring you to definitive information on something. I think that just helps everyone. It helps. It's, it's cheap an end consumer rather than having to do a copay and a doctor visit. Um, and it takes a load off of the healthcare providers when they're going through difficult times as we are today. Perfect. Yeah, no, complete, completely agree. Um, I want to ask you uh, a couple of things about Samsung, you know, as we sort of uh, head to the head to the exit of this, uh, this show here over the next five to 10 minutes, I want to ask you, um, you know, one of the things that differentiates Samsung is, of course, the number of devices rolling off the manufacturing line and uh, the num- just the sheer involvement in consumer, in, in all sorts of different types of hardware um, and the opportunities that creates for, for Bixby. Um, you've spoken before, uh, including at Project Voice, about um, smart TVs and uh, some of the vision behind uh, integrating Bixby into smart TVs and some of the plans there. Where do you stand with that roadmap right now? Is that moving along as you anticipated? Is it slower? Share with us uh, some of what Samsung's doing with Bixby and smart TVs. Sure. So uh, Bixby is today already part of um, the latest generation of smart TVs. So it is it is in there already. And what we announced in October, uh, October, November at the developer conference, Samsung developer conference, was that when you build a capsule, uh, we are now offering cross-device portability uh, automatically, which means if you build an experience for a phone, it's going to look quite different, and it should look quite different on a TV versus a smartwatch versus a refrigerator. 
Uh, well, with our technology, and it's, it's the first in the industry that I know, the, the capsule or the experience that you create will automatically work and be ported to all those devices. And then you have the ability, if you want to make customizations and say, oh, I don't want this information, you know, that doesn't need to be shown on a wristwatch or something, you can tweak it. Um, but basically, we, we are a big believer in the full device ecosystem. We're trying to make it easier for developers uh, to get there. Um, and the status that we are is that Bixby today uh, is in TVs and refrigerators and smartwatches, but the marketplace is not available yet to third parties. Um, so in, at, in the fall uh, at SDC, we said developers can now start building the experiences for these devices and marketplaces are coming soon. And I think that will open up uh, you know, a huge um, opportunity for companies and businesses to be able to interact in a new way. This becomes, you know, now I can interact with a business through a web browser or through an app, but hey, a user who's watching TV can now just click a button and say, hey, Bixby, I want to do X and be able to pull content or, or perform actions uh, from, that, from that business. So I saw some statistic that something like, and again, I'll have to go get the reference, something like seven TVs are sold per second. Samsung mm. TVs are sold per second. Wow. This is not an inconsequential um, landscape for developers to be able to build to. And we're, we're very excited um, about this path. Well, you know, the, the uh, interactions with voice and the TV already are remarkably good. Like yeah. if you have people, uh, you ask people about Comcast, they've made major investments in how voice works with the TV. There's been other examples, but, uh, you know, uh, so that, that sort of creates some fertile ground. But it's interesting. It's really kind of fascinating to see. Um, I don't think anything like this has existed before where it's a specific hardware like hardware software match, basically, you know, it's like every, what everyone used to talk about with Apple, like marrying the, the hardware and the software and all the benefits you get out of that. And I think this is the, it, you know, I'd have to think hard if there's any other, the only thing that would be close to this is situations where like, I think about the Jim Beam voice assistant where Jim Beam created, a, <laughs> a, 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 I forget what they called it. Maybe Jim is what they called it. It was something like, pretty basic <laughs> but you know where they created this bottle looking thing and it has a voice system inside it other than just sort of gimmicky stuff i don't think we've seen something uh, an opportunity like this for developers and um i'm interested just as much as anybody else to see how people take advantage of it um that's that's cool i, I will uh that I, I definitely wanted to ask about that on the uh uh, on this show. I'll close by asking you, uh, and that really sort of captures what I want to ask about Samsung anyway. I want to ask you just one uh, sort of personal question on the way out. You know, you're a big magician. You were very gracious <laughs> to uh, show, show me a trick back uh, in, in Chattanooga for Project Voice when we were there. Um, so if you're, if you're uh, that great of a magician, why can't you make coronavirus disappear? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I saw uh, even... Uh, I saw David Blaine is doing a magic special, the first one he's done in years, 
uh, tomorrow night, Wednesday. I'm excited to watch that. I I'll think even and I talked with, I was talking with David Copperfield just yesterday. Uh, mm-hmm. So even the David Copperfields and David Blaine's are, are, are coronavirus up in their, in their homes right now. So if they can't do it, I don't think I have uh, much of a chance, but um, I'll, I'll give it a try. <laughs> you can tell David Blaine, uh, thank you for giving me a mental image of someone regurgitating and then swallowing back a frog. I <laughs> uh, really appreciate that addition to the, uh, to, to to my uh long-term memory uh yeah. but uh not a trick uh, he does it for real too that's the crazy part oh yeah oh yeah well we, <laughs> that, uh, he's uh he's one of a kind as are you adam greatly appreciate this time sharing not just your time and your experience but your expertise with me and the audience as well it's greatly appreciated all right thanks bradley for the voice first roundtable season two episode seven Thank you for listening, watching, if you're watching on YouTube. Until next time.